With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. I'm your host today, Eric Allen. And our panel for today is James Steidel, Peter Ewart, and Herb Martin. We're going to have a variety of subjects. We'll be all over the map and all over the world before we're finished. Some of it highly exciting and some of it not so exciting. I'll handle the exciting stuff, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to start off with Peter Ewart, and he's going to give us kind of an overview of what's going on at the United Nations Security Council. It seems like there's a number of problems there, which should be a surprise to some of us. But So we'll do that, and then uh, I want to talk with... uh, James in regards to this settlement with, uh, or at least on the uh, glyphosate and uh, uh, well, we'll get into that with him. Sort of interesting, huge settlement. Uh, it's going to change the dynamics of that situation. So, but we'll go with Peter now and then get on with it later. Go ahead, Peter. Thanks, Eric. The issue of reforming and modernizing the United Nations decision-making process has uh, come up uh, again recently as uh, Israel's war on Gaza has intensified. Uh, you know, as everyone can see, you know, through the TV and so on, the UN Security Council is experiencing great difficulty in coming to decisions in regards to what to do and how to stop the carnage in Gaza. So I'll just give a brief overview of the issue. The United Nations was formed in 1945 in the aftermath of World War II to keep world peace, alleviate poverty, sort out differences between countries, and so on. You know, the the structure, you know, two of its principal organs are, number one, the UN Security Council, which is made up of five permanent members, U.S., Russia, China, France, and, and the U.K., and along with those 10 rotating non-permanent members. So each of these five countries have veto power, which means that any one of them can veto decisions made by the Security Council as a whole. The second key body is the UN General Assembly, which is made up of 193 member countries of the United Nations. That's the one that encompasses all the countries in the world that are connected to the UN. So, you know, what are the problems with this structure? You know, back to the the veto issue. And uh, with the veto issue, uh, it means that um, any one of the five permanent members on the Security Council can veto resolutions put forward even by the majority of other members. And this happens often. Since, if you know, for example, since the founding of the UN, Israel has had 45 or so resolutions directed against its occupation and aggression against the Palestinians, only to have these resolutions vetoed by the U.S. and ignored by Israel. Russia has also vetoed resolutions, and there are many other examples. Many argue that this veto power of the five permanent members is anti-democratic, in essence. You know, one of the criticisms of the, the composition of the five Security Council members is that three of them, U.S., Britain, and France, are Western Bloc countries and that they dominate as a result. Secondly, that the entire continent of Africa 
with all its many countries and large population, has no permanent member on the Security Council. And the same holds true for other regions of the Global South, like South America, the Caribbean, as well as large countries with huge populations, like India and Indonesia. So you literally have countries and regions with billions of people which are excluded from uh, being on the uh, perm- uh, being permanent members on the Security Council. Furthermore, the General Assembly of the 193 member countries has very limited non-binding power uh, to act to enforce resolutions compared to the Security Council itself. So often resolutions by the 193 members of the General Assembly are completely ignored by the Security Council. Many countries argue that to be truly more democratic, the General Assembly should have much more power. And there are a host of other problems as well. You know, one of the things that's, uh, you know, very apparent is the world has changed dramatically since the founding of the UN in 1945. Yet the structure of the UN remains archaic and outmoded. How to bring about this needed democratic change and modernization and what this change will look like is a key issue in the world today as the danger of wars, regional wars, and even world war increases. As long as this dysfunctionality continues, the credibility of the UN itself is called into question and possibly its future. So there's, uh, this issue is going to be coming up, uh, I think, uh, more and more in the, in the coming period, uh, given the, the state of the world today. Good. Thanks, Peter. Uh, yeah, I can see lots of problems with, uh, with the United Nations, but what the glaring thing out there is that the, uh, the five Security Council members, at least the ones with the veto power, China, the United States, and the, and Russia, they're not going anywhere. They're in a catbird seat. They built the UN, basically. Mm-hmm. They set up all the rules and regulations. So they're not going anywhere. I don't think they're for a New York minute. They plan on making any changes because they've got everything they need. Uh, the other thing I kind of see on that is that the 193 members of the, the regular board uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but I think they have the authority to elect people to to better and more permanent positions, and maybe even to the uh, Security Council. Yeah, it doesn't the, look like they're doing their job. Yeah, to the uh, to the to, to the uh, non-permanent members. Yeah, yeah, they have a role in uh, in putting them forward, right? But uh, yeah, so they got the, you know if they've had 78 years. To get some of these third world, well, there were third world countries in those days. I don't know what they are now. You know, 78 years is a long time ago. But you would have thought that a lot of these countries would be representative equally throughout mm-hmm. the UN. So it looks like everybody's playing the game. It's just mm-hmm. a question of, you know, what position you're holding, who's on first, who's on second. And Herb is going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, you know, there's, uh, in problems with the union, right from from the uh, United Nations, rather right from the get go. Uh, so you've seen sort of regional entities uh, sprout up, uh, and and as a result, in uh, in Africa, you've got the Pan African Union, which has uh, is comprised of forty nine states there, and they actually take a, a pretty muscular role towards uh, 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 
peace in Africa, so they've actually sent in um, African peacekeepers to various states that have either um, uh, undergone uh, civil war or uh, <clears throat> have uh, military takeovers. Most recently, I think, was Mali. The, uh, a general took over uh, a, a democratically elected uh, uh, government there last year, and um, uh, they were boycotted by the rest of Africa as a result. And uh, there's some talk of, uh, of sending in um, uh, African troops to try and uh, uh, basically get things under control. Uh, again, in, in the uh, in the Americas, you've got the Organization of American States. Um, again, that's problematic with America with with the U.S. Uh, you know, being extremely powerful there. But you know, generally, it's, it's look, it's like herding cats, right? You're you've got people with uh, different uh, outlooks and interests all across the world, and it's going to be very very difficult ever to get people to agree on um, some course of action. Uh, despite how noble or meaningful it could be, it's going to be hard to do. Yeah, it kind of looks to me that one of the functions of the UN is to uh, give legitimacy to what some of the other countries are doing, primarily the big five. Like, uh, if you do it on a world forum and then they they go ahead with it, it must be okay, it's the union or the UN. So, what do you think, James? Well, you look at the the security the Security Council and the permanent members. You got five of them, right? So it's France, the United Kingdom, or the other two, uh, along with Russia, China, and the U.S. And you know, there's some pretty good questions as to why the United Kingdom and France are permanent members of the Security Council. You know, not some other country with more power like uh, India, you know, or Brazil, or there's there's any number of, of countries out there. Um, so I think there's a it could be a really good debate to to be had about reforming that Security Council. Maybe they should all be elected by, you know, every state should have one vote. Who cares if the United States is the most powerful or Russia or whatever? Why do they get, uh, why do they get more say over what happens to the rest of us, you know? And, um, stepping back, the United Nations, I mean, the, the role of the United Nations after the Second World War was to resolve conflicts and prevent, you know, incredible suffering from happening again. I think there's a, there's a good rationale for that. We get all these, conspiracy theories about this new world order and uh, the United Nations kind of telling nation states what to do and and losing our sovereignty and all that but you look at some of these challenges we're facing as a species I think global cooperation is, is the only way to resolve some of this stuff and the United Nations is the body we have we have to do that um, you know maybe at some point uh, we should give the UN some more authority to like stop conflicts to stop what Israel's doing right now which is a horrific assault on civilians, uh, a form of collective punishment that would never have been tolerated if that was a Western uh, society being being uh, subjected to this uh, indiscriminate civilian bombing. And just as a little side note, you know, when the IRA did horrible things during the Troubles in Northern Ireland, we never went into Catholic communities' neighborhoods and carpet-bombed them. I mean, that would just be beyond the pale, uh, to borrow a term that actually originated in Ireland. So... You know, just to finish off my little rant here, you look at history, read about, you know, go into the, dig into the Peloponnesian Wars. That's a really, that's one of the first great books of history. It was written by a guy called Thucydides. And it's about uh, the, the Greek city-states fighting each other about 300 to 400 uh, years before the birth of Christ. And if you go to Greek today, Greece today, 
you know, in, in just a few short millennia, none of these cities are fighting each other anymore, right? They're all kind of subsumed um, under one state government called Greece. Uh, you know, they all kind of cooperate with each other. And if you went back in time, you would notice horrific wars being fought between these little city-states. And, you know, the point is we can we can go beyond our national allegiances. We can We can, you know, feel like we're a community of humanity at a bigger level. Uh, and I think we can forget about our own little local tribalist, uh, national, religious, ethnic allegiances and realize we're all fundamentally the same. And, uh, something like the United Nations, I think, was, was put in place to kind of strike that home after what happened after the last Second World War. And I think we got to start thinking that way again. Yeah, well, certainly it was set up by, by the victors of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they decided on the rules and regulations. <clears throat> you know, France and uh, England are no longer the powers they were at that time. Times have changed quite a bit. The United States has changed a number of times. Canada used to be on the Security Council. And we used to have a little bit of clout at one time, but we're hardly ever mentioned anymore, not even as an also ran. So, you know, we've lost a lot of our thunder. And we're losing more every day so these things change all the time but the thing that's consistent throughout it is always that the most usually the most intelligent societies with you know the better educated people and uh, the better business and all the rest of it are the ones that are in these conflicts all the time it's not Joe Sixpack down on the First Avenue (laughs) by the railway track that starts these things it's the secretary to the king (laughs) <laughs> somebody like that it's the top echelon of our people that are fighting these wars all the time so we need to question that and you know I mean it's either usually it's for power money or, mm-hmm. or prestige or whatever and uh, yeah, maybe. it seems like a hell of a waste mm-hmm. yeah well that's the period that we're we're in right you know like we have a situation where the you know, power relations on the world scale are, are changing, you know, like the, uh, uh, like after the Soviet Union fell apart, uh, you know, what developed was a, what they call a, a unipolar world where, uh, dominated by one power, which was the U.S. But, uh, you know, that's been changing, right? You're having a situation where the world is more and more becoming a multipolar world where uh, there's uh, uh, challenges to that unipolar world order. And uh, so that's the that's kind of situation we're in. We have countries like, like China and, and India and, and others that are, that are rising. And uh, then you have other ones who you know, are de- declining to some, like you talked about with Britain and France and so on, right? And uh, you know, you know, back to what James talked about with Thucydides uh, you know, several thousand years ago, you know, that's one of the, when he looked at the Peloponnesian War between Sparta and Athens, uh, one of the, the, the characteristics which he said, which he thought gave rise to the war was the fact that one of the powers was rising and the other one was declining. And that when that happens on a world scale, that's when you can get into some really dangerous territory. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we're going to take a break now and then we'll come back and change the subject, I think. 
Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics? Yes. Cheesecake, carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs. Do these specialty baked goods taste good? People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners? Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250 250- zero six one seven seven four six seven or check out our website pivotleader.com at pivotleader we help you grow train and sell your business forecast from environment canada mainly cloudy today winds from the south at 20 gusting to 40 starting late this morning a high of four with a morning wind chill to minus nine tonight mainly cloudy gusting south winds continuing a temperature steady near four for tuesday cloudy with a 40 percent chance of showers gusting south winds are coming late in the afternoon a high of five Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George. You're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And I'm going to leave the UN and go to uh, Bears Monsanto. I'm going to get uh, James to start it off. Uh, they were hit with a $1.5 billion verdict in the latest Roundup cancer case. Uh, do you want to just give us your take on that, James? Yeah, you betcha. So, you know, buyer purchased Monsanto uh, a few years back, I think five five or eight years ago, I, I don't know exactly when, and that, the buyer was a big German chemical company, right, and they, they really went to the bank and took everything out, I think the German taxpayers financed a bunch of this takeover, and at the time they thought it was, it was such a great deal, you know, Monsanto was, was this amazing company, and, and Roundup was this amazing product that... Uh, you know, almost all of the world's kind of agriculture has now become dependent on. You've got uh, you got glyphosate and Roundup being sprayed on everything. Like they sprayed on our wheat before they cut it down. They sprayed on your potatoes. Uh, they sprayed on your forests. You know, and um, great investment opportunity, guys. Let's 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 buy up this big company. And uh, pretty soon after they bought this thing up, you know, there were some lawsuits that were kind of getting. Uh, stewing away there in the legal system in the United States and uh, not too long after they bought it they lost uh, three big cases uh, one of these was a subject of a documentary called Into the Weeds I'd uh, recommend watching it and you know there's there was some news about uh, buyer losing these, these court cases and uh, you know some of the, the cynics would say well you can't uh, you can't base a jury decision you can't uh, decide uh, whether this chemical is good or not based on a jury decision and you know you got to follow the science and the science is saying this is a real safe product uh which in fact is is a bogus argument because when you look at it it's just the regulatory authorities that say it's safe and they're ignoring all sorts of science they're kind of basing their decision on uh monsanto's research right that's kind of what informs uh, the government's decision whether or not it's safe or not independent research is is few and far between and a lot of these court cases, you know, they dig into those questions, and then when they look at the independent research, they find uh, stuff that uh, these chemical companies aren't saying. Uh, we actually found out that uh, a lot of stuff, a lot of these scientific studies that were published uh, that were supposedly independent were ghostwritten by Monsanto scientists. Uh, there were some emails that came out. Donna Farmer, she was the head scientist at Monsanto, 
there was an email where she admitted, you know, we can vouch for the safety of glyphosate, but we can't vouch for the safety of Roundup, which gets into this whole other debate about uh, how, you know, what they're spraying on our food isn't just uh, one chemical, right? It's a it's a cocktail of a number of different chemicals that make that that make that make the active ingredient, quote unquote, effective. And without those other chemicals, you know, a glyphosate won't even really kill that much stuff. So, you know, which is what what's being ignored as well in in kind of the scientific research, and that came out in these court cases. So anyway, following these three big wins, this is about five years ago now or losses for Bayer, rather, uh, a whole bunch of um, victories for Bayer followed. And a lot of these victories had to do with where the jury was selected. Uh, they they moved some of the court cases to Missouri, to St. Louis, which is the headquarters of of Monsanto, and they found some jury members that were more conducive to the claims of, of Bayer Monsanto. And there was a string of uh, wins for Bayer, and then now it's turned the other way. We've got these three huge losses again, uh, it's a, it, you know, what, what's truth in the nowadays world? We don't, uh, there's, there's so many different takes on this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you'll get these chemical industry lobbyists that'll, that'll criticize these victories for the, for the victims of, of this, um, carcinogenic chemical. They'll, they'll say, you know, all these regulatory agencies vouch for its safety. Health Canada says it's safe. And if you disagree, you're obviously anti-science or some kind of conspiracy, uh, crank, you know, and you get these words thrown around, and and unfortunately, that's kind of clouded uh, the truth on this matter. And, and we're not going to stop spraying glyphosate. Okay, it's gonna we're going to keep spraying our fields with it. And uh, we've got too much invested in this in this model of agriculture, which is basically this big monocrop simplified landscape uh, model that we've taken, where we've gotten rid of all the small farms. We're losing our small farms. We're losing our small prairie communities. Right, it's all being automated. That's the new big thing. Now we have these huge sprayers that go around and and spray like huge areas of the prairies with these chemicals. And like sprayers have become as important as hay balers or uh, combines or, or swathers. Right, sprayers are like the uh, the right hand tool of of all these big mega farms now. And they, they spray your food with all sorts of stuff. It's not just glyphosate, it's fungicides, it's neonicotinoids, it's, yeah, there's no end, right? And they, they devalue the soil so that you get more, uh, funguses growing in the soil, so now you gotta buy more fungicides to deal with that problem. It's just a, it's what they call a treadmill. And, uh, the winner and all the stuff is the chemical companies, and with this ruling, we find out, uh, they lost. So, I'd like to see more of these losses happen. Okay, I was just looking at a uh, little deal here that, uh, of course, it looks like they're going to appeal a number of these cases, but Roundup's main ingredient apparently is glyphosate, and uh, they say that Bayer plans to phase out glyphosate in the U.S. consumer market by year's end. So what does that mean for spraying glyphosate here, assuming that they also do it in... Uh, well, I think Canada. I, I don't think they're going to phase it out for commercial. I think there's a, I think there's a difference there between oh, okay. between commercial and kind of residential use, and they're they're already doing that. So if you go to the Home Depot, you look at the uh, jugs of Roundup. Actually, the active ingredient is this chemical called uh, acetic acid, which is a fancy word for vinegar. Uh, so when you go and buy Roundup nowadays, it's just uh, you're just buying vinegar. I mean, we could have been using that all along, but uh, that's I think basically what they're going to 
what they mean by so so spraying in a forest. You don't think that'll change at all? Well, no, because as long as Health Canada approves it, I mean, Bayer isn't the only company that manufactures this stuff, right? I mean, most of the stuff that we're buying for forestry spraying is actually made in China. Uh, we import it. Uh, it's, it comes in here in big vats of, of made-in-China glyphosate. It's not batch-tested. We don't know if it's contaminated. Uh, we don't know what the additives are. That's all trade secrets. Uh, as long as the active ingredient is glyphosate, it just comes in off the boat and, and it goes directly onto our forests. Uh, it's, just, it's just a ridiculous, ridiculous situation. I mean, it's not just uh, glyphosate that we have to worry about. There's all sorts of other agricultural chemicals we're importing from countries with really questionable uh, product uh, quality control standards. And, and also, like, can you sue a Chinese company? Of course not, right? These are all kind of cease, like... Chinese Communist Party co- companies uh, that are immune from lawsuits and you buy some of this crap and it makes you sick and maybe it's got some contaminants in it like dioxins or something uh, you're up the creek you know and that's that's your government looking out for you for you well I'm sure this will be around for a while so we're going to go for a break come up with a new subject In response to tremendous interest, Jude Greibel's Dismantled Worlds has been held over at Two Rivers Gallery through December 10th. Dismantled Worlds is a darkly humorous exploration of the toxic relationship between natural life and human industry. This surreal sculptural interpretation of capitalism and resource extraction blends anatomy with landscape and satirizes the effects of industry caused to climate change. Dismantled Worlds is now on through December 10th at Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in Canada Games Plaza. Kick off the holiday season and support your friends, families, and communities in the North with the Spirit of the North Healthcare Foundation's 30th Annual Festival of Trees. Take in events such as the MediChair Seniors Brunch, Scotiabank Seniors Tea, and Canadian Tire Fashion Show, to name a few, and tour the trees from November 29th to December 3rd at the Prince George Civic Centre. For details or to purchase tickets, visit spiritofthenorth.ca or call the Foundation office at 250-565-2515. At Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery, we asked numerous diabetics to monitor their blood sugar after enjoying our baked goods and then share the results with us. Some said blood sugar went up, but the change was so mild it was irrelevant. Several said their blood sugar was unchanged, and several others showed us their blood sugar actually went down after eating our baked treats. If you're diabetic, check us out for yourself. You'll love our baking. At Deb's Cafe on 7th and Quebec, next to Pharmacy. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com at pivotleader.com. We help you grow, train, and sell your business. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're going to stick with the glyphosate for a little bit longer. Uh, Herb wants to make a comment on it. Go ahead, Herb. Yeah, just just to, uh, you know, not dwell on glyphosate itself so much, but some of the applications that we've allowed it uh, to be used for. Uh, in forestry, uh, it's been pretty pernicious, really. We've uh, uh, sp- we spent vast amounts of money, uh, over $300 million 
probably just within the Prince George district you know, over the last 40 years. And uh, by doing so, we've, we've rendered uh, a lot of plantations monocultures. Uh, we've seen that uh, a lot of the plantations that have been uh, 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 thinned or, or, or sprayed uh, have become basically uh, uh, tinder boxes. We, uh, the shovel eight fire uh, basically raced through plantations and um, uh, caused all sorts of damage, almost caused the uh, evacuation of Fort St. James. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen over the past summer a lot of fires again going through plantations. Uh, this is something that we've got to, you know, despite the court cases and, and the 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 uh, liability of Monsanto, we have to take it uh, under, uh, take our own responsibilities and, and, and manage them properly. We have to start looking at our forests and doing the right things by by the by forests and not uh, look for quick fix, quick fixes like from from uh, chemicals like glyphosate and um, uh, cheap easy fixes. You know we, we've got to start uh, uh, reducing the size of clear cuts. Uh, we've got to basically let um, natural growth come back in again. Uh, these these are things that that we can do. Uh, another problem with glyphosate on in agriculture is that uh, farmers figured out that uh, you could they could use them to desiccate crops and to make them easier to harvest. So the fact is that you know there was uh, we we're getting uh, really high levels of residue uh, in in a lot of crops. Uh, Canadian wheat was uh, actually banned from Italy. Uh, Canadian oats were banned from South Korea because of the incredibly high levels of. Uh, uh, of glyphosate uh, residues in them. So this is something that, uh, you know, we can't just blame Monsanto, we can't just blame Bayer uh, or the court system or Health Canada. Uh, we, you know, this is a collective problem. Uh, too many people in, in, in societies around the world are looking for quick fixes, and uh, and we've got to get out of it. We've got to... Uh, James? Or, oh, Peter, Peter wants to say something. Okay. I want to, like... Make one more point there. Yeah, it's a, we're in a position that's it's like the uh, you know that old folktale about the sorcerer's apprentice, in terms of uh, what's happening with science and technology and new chemicals or hundreds of new chemicals are coming on board uh, uh, every every year now. Uh, you have uh, all kinds of weaponry of the uh, you know the most terrible kind that is being developed. Uh, you have artificial intelligence. Uh, that is uh, really, you know, people are seeing it as a. Uh, on the one hand, there's uh, there's positive things. On the other hand, there's uh, real dangers, you know. So you have this you have this situation where the productive forces, the technology, technology and science and so on, has become out of control, and uh, that's one of the problems facing humanity is that. Uh, we face the prospect of uh, even extinguishing life on the planet if if, if this continues, where these uh, these huge productive forces, potentially very dangerous uh, technology and science and so on, um, you know, gets uh, gets completely out of control. So that's that's an issue for humanity that humanity as a whole has has to take up. You know, because right now the productive forces. Who dominates them and who controls them are a very large, powerful private interests. Where is the public in this? And, and I'm talking about the public on a world scale. 
you know, the public gets left out of this uh, equation. And that, that has to change. Thanks, Peter. James, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I just wanted to, to point out, like, uh, reiterate Herb's point there. Glyphosate is a crutch for just kind of lazy uh, approaches to agriculture and forestry. I mean, with forestry, when you do these big clear cuts, uh, you turn glyphosate as kind of the, the solution to getting those places reforested because basically you've lost all your conifer seed trees. And if uh, you don't spray it, you know, your aspen are going to crowd out all these seedlings you planted. And then you'll have to replant it because you've got no more natural seed trees. Kind of a similar thing with agriculture where you've got these massive uh, landscapes of one crop. Uh, also with, with science, like what, uh, what Peter was mentioning there, you know, we've come up with these genetically modified organisms which were sold to us as some kind of great technological solution to create more nutritious food and all this. Well, the reality is 100% of GMO crops in Canada are modified genetically to resist herbicides so that you can directly spray your crops with herbicides and kill everything else uh, but not your crop, with the exception, of course, to weed resistance um, and, you know, weeds that are are able to develop resistance to, to glyphosate. And, you know, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a lazy approach that is a, is a freebie to these big corporate farms that are leveling the diversity and, and uh, of the of the of the prairies and agricultural landscapes. So, you know, when you say, oh, we got to have glyphosate to grow food, well, you got to have glyphosate to, so these big corporate corporations can turn a profit. You know, the alternative is you turn back to smaller farms. Uh, you get more people living out on, on rural landscapes, get more people back into those small towns in Saskatchewan, uh, go more to those 40-acre homesteads, and start growing our own food again. And you can do that without chemicals because you've got eyes on the fields. You know, you can, you can be more intelligent with what you're planting, where you're planting it. There's more attention being paid to crop rotation. Uh, and you've got, you know, instead of having huge fields, you've got little verges, you've got, uh, hedgerows, you've got strips of nature and trees, and you get a lot of natural predators for, for, uh, pests in those natural areas. And that's been proven that if you reduce your cropland by 10%, and have natural prairie uh, plants in those strips and you don't spray it and you don't harvest it, you actually get uh, a lot of insects that will take care of your, your pests for you. Yeah, one of the things that I heard with these uh, big farms on uh, the prairies and that is that <clears throat> using the spraying, eventually it kills the, uh, the uh, soil itself. The soil becomes useless. You can't grow anything with it. And it's only used to hold up the stem on the wheat and the wheat is grown by the fertilizers, so you know if, if we carry on, eventually you won't be able to grow anything there. And uh, well, a great example is uh, fusarium blight. You know, fusarium is, is a uh, a big group of fungi, and we know for a fact that uh, um, well, some people argue with it, but there's a lot of evidence to show that when you use glyphosate, glyphosate kills uh, the beneficial bacteria, and you get these fusarium outbreaks. We're gonna go for a break now. Your Prince George Council of Seniors needs volunteers for this year's Christmas Hamper Program. Volunteers are needed for hamper assembly dates, November 18th and 19th, as well as for hamper deliveries on December 20th and 21st. For more information, contact Wendy by emailing hcn at pgcos.ca or call the Council of Seniors office at 250-564-5888. That's Christmas hamper volunteers needed for December 18th to 21st at your Prince George Council of Seniors. 
Show your support for the Prince George Hospice Palliative Care Society with a quilted vest or full zip hoodie. Quilted vests sell for $85 each, while the full zip hoodies are $35. Both items have the hospice logo on the chest. To order, contact Irene at the Solace Center by emailing info at pghpcs.ca or by calling 250-563-2551. Prince George Hospice Society quilted vests and full zip hoodies are available for order through Tuesday. Life Before the Pulp Mills from your Council of Seniors is a unique look at the early years of Prince George, the Goat Island Swoon Hole and Pier, the Old Army Hospital, and making do during World War II. It's a look back using the words of past Prince George residents such as the Peckhams, Ollingers, and others. Our city in the 40s, 50s, and early 60s comes alive for just $20. Life Before the Pulp Mills, available at the new Council of Seniors Resource Center, 1330 5th Avenue. Forecast from Environment Canada. Mainly cloudy today. Wind from the south at 20, gusting to 40 starting late this morning. A high of 4 with a morning wind chill to minus 9. Tonight, mainly cloudy. Gusting south winds continuing. Temperature steady near 4. For Tuesday, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers. Gusting south winds becoming light in the afternoon. A high of 5. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station. 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. We're going to talk about the polar shutdown or pending shutdown uh, Canforce Polar Mill at uh, Bear Lake. I'm just trying to get some idea of what's going on here. I'm going to start with uh, Herb. Just give us an overview of what you know about it, Herb. Yeah, it's pretty astounding. The uh, Canfor shutting down uh, yet another mill. Uh, prices this morning, uh, 540 bucks U.S., uh, spot price for SPF on the on the uh, on the markets, which is about seven hundred and forty bucks Canadian. This is uh, almost double the twenty-year average of lumber, and so this this kind of shows that the uh, the amount of corporate concentration that's happened in uh, in forestry and and basically what we've allowed to happen. Uh, you know the the local mills, uh, carriers, and uh, Dunkleys are still still producing, still employing people. And yet there's Canfor playing games and uh, obviously uh, uh, affecting the price quite dramatically as the price has come up uh, over 100 bucks in the last uh, week and a half. Uh, so, you know, this is uh, basically uh, Prince George and, and uh, well, BC is being used as uh, a lever. And uh, whenever they need to uh, boost the prices, they'll just shut down some more mills and... Uh, we, we get to pay for it in terms of unemployment. Okay, thanks, sir. Now, what I'm trying to get to here is uh, um, what Kenpo is saying is uh, there's a shortage of cost-competitive fiber in the region, so we've got to think of that, cost-competitive fiber. And um, we simply don't have enough economic fiber to support both of our Prince George area mills through this winter. As a result, we were making a difficult decision to curtail operations. So, and then further on in the uh, press release, it says uh, the curtailment will remove approximately 140 million board feet. <coughs> excuse me, of production over six months. So they're going to shut down for six months. They won't be producing anything. So that's 140 million board feet off the market. But if I'm reading that correctly, that means that 140 million 
Boyd feet are going to be sitting there next year if they start up that mill and they can go and log it because it's not going anywhere and or they may come up and say well you know we can log that take that to a mill in Prince George we don't have to do it in Bear Lake you know they've done things like that there is fiber but the key there seems to be this cost competitive fiber so I'm guessing you know I know that there's fiber being hauled out of Mackenzie to mills at Prince George we know there's lots of uh, fiber in Fort Nelson area you know so I'm not sure what they mean by cost competitive somebody want to touch on that James well it probably it probably means like what Herb said uh, games you know I think I think this is a political strategy by Canfor to pressure the government into uh, reducing stumpage or giving them some more freebies uh, maybe give them some more, a couple, a few more million bucks to upgrade their production line. Maybe throw a few more people out of work. Uh, that kind of thing. I mean, this is, this is kind of what, uh, what this, these big corporations are, are good at, and and that's kind of the game they're playing. Uh, you know, my take on this whole thing is uh, is back to a pertinency and back to who owns these forests, who owns these logs, and I think this is a great example of, um, you know, if these companies are going to shut down, you know, they they should lose their uh, tenure. On, the, on this timber. You know, this is our wood. We never sold the timber rights to, to any of these companies. Uh, from day one, it was a contract. Unfortunately, it, was a, it wasn't codified in law, but it was a contract that we would give timber harvesting rights in exchange for manufacturing capacity, in exchange for jobs, in exchange for development. And we got to go back to that original contract. If you're not providing that anymore, then you lose those timber harvesting rights. Uh, and you know, if if Canfor keeps playing these games, well, well, they they need to lose the rights. You know, they shouldn't they shouldn't have the right to sit on this this wood until next year. I think uh, it should be on the open market. Actually, Herb kind of always talked about that kind of thing. It should be up for open bid to the highest bidder. And if, uh, if Canfor is not going to cut it or use it, then somebody else should. Peter, you got a comment on that? Uh, no, I, I I just would uh, agree with uh, James about that about the whole issue of uh, pertinency and. You know, maybe looking at a new type of appurtenancy, you know, that's consistent with the uh, conditions of today. But uh, yeah, it's not a not a good situation when you have uh, you know the, these kinds of layoffs, and yet the the hold on the timber uh, remains with the with the private company. I think we might have to go further too. And you know, when people are talking about uh, competition, you hear it quite often. Oh, the competition this and the competition that. Uh, but they never tell you who the competition is. It could be their own mills in Sweden or their own mills <laughs> down in the U.S. Yeah, it's competition for mills in this area. Well, yeah, and that's you. You definitely got a point there, Eric. I mean, when you've got uh, when you got mills, I mean, they've got different profit margins wherever they got uh, mills, and if their profit margin is going to be higher down in uh, South Carolina, uh, you know, and, and they could jack that profit margin by closing a mill down up here, they're going to do it. It's kind of standard procedure. I remember, I guess we all remember to some degree, eight, nine, ten years ago, when Indaco Mines shut down, temporary shut, I might add, and uh, still down. But the but the mill, the same company, Imperial Metals, had a mill in the U.S. As far as I know, operated right up to it, including today. So we lost the jobs, we got the shutdowns, mm-hmm. and the American subsidiary, or the American parent, company kept the jobs. And this could be happening now. We've got more and more lumber mills in the U.S. And if they operate cheaper 
and make more profit, then that's the ones that are going to keep running. And if they refer up to here, the high-cost mills, they'll mothball them until the situation changes. Yeah, so. yeah and if they were independently owned, like uh, Carrier or Dunkley, they, they wouldn't do that, or they'd be less likely to do that. Yeah, because they're going to be here for the the long haul, and they didn't do it. I mean, for years ago, they would stockpile lumber all over the place waiting for... Uh, you know, the price to go up or whatever. Yeah, there's a certain amount of risk involved there, but it wasn't their first uh, uh, move was to get rid of people. That's that's a publicly traded company concept. And I just want to swing over now to uh, another example of that. Now it says Suncor is still hunting for cost savings after a wave of job cuts. Yeah. 1,500 layoffs expected to save... Calgary Company, $450 million per year. Now, the interesting thing about this is, I just want you to think about the, the way they're looking at it. So Suncor, or Suncor Energy says it has wrapped 1,500 job cuts two months ahead of schedule, but it will continue to look for areas to trim as part of a wider efficiency push. Chief Executives said that the cuts are expected to save $450 million a year, or about $50 million more than what they expected when the cuts were announced in June. Uh, so basically, they get really excited when they get rid of 1,500 jobs, and they're in the boardrooms dancing, and look at what we've done. You know, we've got rid of 1,500 jobs. Things are looking good. And then... Uh, then it says the company is also pushing ahead with plans for fewer, bigger trucks, buying and leasing a combined 55 ultra-class 400-ton trucks that will displace nearly twice as many smaller third-party vehicles. This is for hauling uh, iron ore or, or yeah, coal or, sand or tar sands. Tar sands, yeah. So I'm thinking that's 110 jobs there that's going to be lost. And the, here's the kicker. The trucks will be driverless ready as part of a wider push into technology. So that's what we got. Uh, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and kick this around for a few minutes. The PG Friends and Family Caregiver Program has a weekly coffee and talk. Caregivers are invited to join in Wednesday mornings at 11 to meet with your peers for a relaxed chat, sharing stories, tips, and camaraderie. There is limited space, so you'll need to register by calling the Seniors Resource Centre at 250-564-5888. The PG Friends and Family Caregiver Program Coffee and Talk, 11 o'clock, Wednesday mornings at the Seniors Resource Centre. There are so many ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George, on Central Street West and Vance Road. Christmas is a time for smiles. Upgrade your smile with a visit to Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of services, from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building, with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation and get your smile upgraded for Christmas. No referral required. Der Denture Center, in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250 562 6638. 
Does Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery offer baking for diabetics? Yes. Cheesecake, carrot cake, blueberry pie, brownies, and more. The cheesecake and carrot cake each have four net carbs per slice. Blueberry pie has five, and the brownie has just three net carbs. Do these specialty baked goods taste good? People love them. What else would you like to say to our diabetic listeners? Come to Deb's Cafe and Specialty Bakery next to Pharmasave on 7th at Quebec. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Okay, we're back. And uh, i just given that Suncor and uh, Canfor Polar Mill uh, a little airtime there just to see that, you know, the mentality for the big corporations, of course, is to look around, find the best savings that, to make the biggest profits, and that's where they focus, and that's where they go. But they, you know, they don't always get there. These guys started. These are the guys. Suncor hired those fifteen hundred people, and they brought in whatever plan that they had. And now that it didn't turn out, and we're getting this in some other uh, areas too, where you know, where a product or a plan doesn't actually turn out the way they want and they never talk about that they move on to the next uh, situation that's what's happening here with Suncor I mean they had a big plan it turned sour and now they're trying to hype it up and say look at what a great job we're doing cutting 1500 jobs and all that well perhaps and this is kind of a wild shot but perhaps had they done it right in the first place none of this would have been necessary and I think we give too much credit to the uh, CEOs and that of these big corporations that they're always doing the right thing. They're not. And there's lots of cases where they did the wrong thing. And this guy that's at Suncor now just replaced the guy that was there for a number of years. And I think he got fired also, along with some of his so-called team. So we need to be, we need people and government to better sort of look at these corporations and see how they function because it's all for the uh, stockholders' uh, dividends, but uh, if it's putting everybody out of work, what good is it? Except to them. Go ahead, Peter. Uh, yeah, no, just to follow up on what you're saying there, Eric, you know, like the, this, uh, this 1,500 layoffs uh, and the 400 and the, the, the Suncor saving $450 million a year is all seen as a positive thing. But, uh, you know, when you look at the other way there, 1,500 layoffs, it means that the workforce has suffered 1,500 layoffs. The communities have su- suffered uh, those 1,500 layoffs. That $450 million, which formerly would have gone to the workforce, is no longer there. It's uh, it's it's the company, the, the private interests who are getting it. But that's how they spin it. it is, they spin these things which are actually uh, a negative in terms of uh, the workforce, in terms of the communities and all this. They they spin it as a positive thing, and uh, you know, that, that's part of the part of the problem in terms of uh, the whole perception of uh, what's taking place here. This this kind of situation is uh, it's uh, you know, these huge layoffs and, and so on are, are disasters for the employees and for the communities uh, where the uh, production takes place. Just a bit of a reality check on the uh, on the oil uh, price front too. Uh, this morning, uh, Western Canada Select is selling at uh, just over fifty bucks. That's roughly thirty two cents a liter. Okay, so we're we're exporting our oil uh, mostly to the states, 
and we're buying back diesel. Rack price is $1.30, $1.40. So who's making the money? Basically, uh, we're... (laughs) We're exporting, uh, well, with the hewers of wood and carriers of, uh, or the hewers of, yeah, the, the carriers of water. I guess that was the the old uh, uh, the old saying, and we still are. We basically we don't uh, manufacture any uh, any value added. Uh, we're still exporting raw logs. We're still exporting uh, crude oil, and uh, we're buying it back at four times the price. So, I mean, joke's on us. And uh, if we let the corporations do this to us, we're stupid. Okay. Uh, James. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think it's an incredible trick that these big corporations have pulled on us, uh, where we think that efficiency is some kind of net uh, gain for the rest of us. It's not. Okay, if you don't have competition out there, this uh, these efficiency gains, these companies... Uh, achieve by, you know, firing all these workers, replacing the big trucks with uh, robots, is just more profits for them. Like that uh, that article you sent around there, I think Suncor had uh, $1.63 billion in uh, profits the second quarter. That's just that's just insane, you know. And, and you know, back to the polar of the Canfor thing with uh, them harvesting the, the logs, the public logs, and uh, playing tricks uh, with us with those logs. You know, the, the other side of it is is they've set up these manu- for these highly efficient manufacturing facilities that are just pillaging our forests. I mean, I don't think we can talk about polar and, and the forest industry without mentioning the, the, the over-harvesting that's going on, uh, you know, the need to kind of respect uh, primary forests more and and how we're losing a lot of that for not really for any jobs. I mean, polar is going through 80 to 100 truckloads a shift for, I think, 40 employees, you know, like... You got you got more people uh, working at uh, four gas stations basically than than uh, you do at that sawmill. So you know it, it's a great trick these corporations have pulled on us. The amount of uh, resource exploitation that's necessary for these corporate profits is uh, is unsustainable. It uh, doesn't benefit the public. It doesn't benefit our environment. And one day we got to wake up and realize that. I think there's lots of alternatives, um, but it might uh, involve going back on progress a little bit and you know we, we've been kind of duped into that as well that you can't go backwards that you can only go forwards with modernity and progress and and i think that's i think that's ridiculous i think there's lots of ways to make a living and go about on this planet without uh feeding the machine okay just before we let you go james uh, uh the plan bc gold mine near cornell passes environmental assessments yeah and so it looks like they got to get some permits or something. It looks like here's the goal. And on a positive note, I guess, at the end of the day, there's going to be uh, 500 jobs created. Yeah, it's one of the one of the oddballs where the construction jobs are going to be less than the ongoing yeah, uh, workforce. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be in Wells. I think the, the one of the concerns I heard actually is at the medieval market down in Williams Lake on a weekend. And, and uh, one of the conditions of that environmental assessment is Wells has to find a new, or this company has to find Wells a new supply of drinking water. Uh so that mine is going, I think there's like a big, big processing facility is going right on the edge of that uh, town there on Blackjack Lake, which is an old contaminated lake site. Don't swim in there. Uh, and so there's a lot of concern there with the community with noise and truck traffic going right through town and their drinking water supply. So, you know, those are some things that uh, I think people are concerned about. Okay, so that's somewhat positive. No, we got back 500 jobs, so... But we still have the net loss of uh, 
1500 <laughs> anyway we're working on it and that's it for today I want to thank everybody for listening thank my panel and uh, we'll see you next Monday After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS FM After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart Eric Allen Kylie Lewis Holt Darren Guess Trudy Clausen and Rez Krebs Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. You're listening to 93.1 CFISFM, proudly supported by local businesses like New Look Interiors, now located at number 12E, 1839 First Avenue.